Father, thank you for the freedom we have in Christ. I pray that this morning we would not just celebrate that, we would not just be informed about that, but God, that we would be transformed by it. Lord, I pray our lives would look different than when we walked in here today. May you get the glory. For it's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Or you can stand the whole time if you want. That's up to you. Well, you know me. It could be a while. Dave, I didn't mean it. (laughs) Mark 7. Mark 7. That's where we're going to be this morning. Mark 7. As you're turning there, may I... um, I'll just kind of give you a little heads up what's going to happen this morning. There's, we're going to look at one of the stories of Jesus. We're going to talk about that and, and, and just kind of look at it from a different perspective, perhaps, than some of us have in the past. Then we're going to do a little bit of, little bit of teaching. Uh, and then at the end, we're going to do a little bit more of a big picture idea and a challenge for what today and the passage before us, and really, actually, the whole Gospel of Mark has for us today. Before I jump into that, this is something that I, I, I need to say. Um, if you're with us this morning, and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, and when I say a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't mean somebody who has a bumper sticker on your car. I don't know, mean somebody who has a t-shirt that says something. I don't mean you own a Bible, or you come to church, or that you tithe. When I say follower of Jesus Christ, what I mean is this. You have abandoned all other hope apart from Jesus Christ to bring pleasure to God. You have forsaken all other ways. You have decided in your heart the reality of everything your life has demonstrated, that there is nothing you can do apart from the work of Jesus Christ to please God. So if you're with us this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, my prayer for you, my hope for you, my desire for you this morning is even as we look at a story of the act of Jesus, that you don't miss the love of Jesus. That you don't overlook how he feels about you. Because if you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, Jesus loves you. And I don't mean one of those stupid platitudes with a smiley face. I mean, Jesus loves you. And there is no greater love than this. A man gives up his life for his friends. And so Jesus has more than demonstrated his love and compassion for you. So this morning, would you just consider that as you sit, as you listen, as you read? Consider the love of Christ. And ask yourself this question, what will you do with Jesus? Because Jesus isn't just a convenient add-on. It's either all Jesus or none of Jesus. And you need to make that decision today. We've been studying the Gospel of Mark together. And, and it's not difficult to understand what it is that Mark's trying to communicate to us. He makes it very clear, even at the beginning of Mark chapter 1, He says, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So what Mark is trying to do is get us to to know what Mark knows, that this Jesus is different than any other. This Jesus is the authoritative Son of God. 
And he's going to demonstrate that a little bit for us, even in the story that we read this morning. So let me, let me, let me read verses, uh, chapter 7, verse 31 and 32. He says this, Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, through the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking, and he begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So, so just a little background. So Jesus is now returning to this place called the Decapolis. We've heard about the Decapolis before. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus heals a, Gadarian, a demoniac from Gadara. He, he's that man who's up in the caves who everybody had given up on. They had chained him repeatedly, and he continued to burst out of his chains. They heard him all night long crying out in agony. This man, they had completely given up hope for him. And yet Jesus came, found that he was uh, demon-possessed. He cast the demons out into the pigs. You know the story, 27 tons of bacon completely wasted. Still can't get over that. But at the end of that story, when the demoniac realizes everything that Jesus has done for him, he, he, he runs to the boat because the people of the area of Gadaria had said to Jesus, would you please, now think about this. They couldn't help this man. They wanted this man. They loved this man. It was family and friends, but they couldn't do anything for him. They couldn't deliver him. They couldn't rescue him. They couldn't help him. And finally, Jesus comes and delivers him and rescues him and helps him. And their response is, Jesus, would you get out of here? So Jesus and his disciples get in the boat. And as they're getting ready to pull away, the demoniac, now healed and in his right mind, comes running down the hill and he's calling out after Jesus, let me go with you! Let me be one of your disciples! And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Which is crazy right there. Right? Think about that. In your, in your mind, in your imagination, as you picture Jesus, somebody running to him saying, I want to be one of your disciples. He always says yes, because he always wants more disciples, right? But in this moment, Jesus says, no. You go back home and you tell your friends and family how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So I'll call him Gaddy for the Gadarean demoniac. Gaddy goes out and he begins telling all his friends and family what happened. And here you get to Mark chapter 7, verses 31 and 32. And what you find is after taking the long way to Decapolis, which later to this afternoon as you're sitting, I would encourage you to pull out your, your maps and look at verse 31 and see which direction Jesus went to get to the Decapolis. He went a very roundabout way to get there. He, Jesus ends up in the Decapolis area. And here in verse 32, people bring a deaf man to Jesus asking Jesus to put his hands on him. See, the attitude is completely different in the Decapolis now. Instead of, would you just get out of here, Jesus? Now it's, Jesus, would you touch him? Why is the attitude so different? Because my man, Gaddy, did his job. Keep that in mind as we continue. So they bring to Jesus this deaf man who has difficulty speaking, and they're begging Jesus to, to lay his hands on. So this man is, is deaf, and he's near mute, if not completely mute. There's some discussion about the language in this text. If, if he couldn't speak, or if he could barely speak, or, or what, what, what the deal actually was with him. We're not sure what level of speech he had, but what we are absolutely certain of is that he couldn't hear at all. 
So this means this man couldn't hear a testimony. He couldn't ask questions. He's living in a completely silent world. Secluded from everybody around him and everything that's happening around him, living almost in one of those silent movies of old. Mark gets very detailed about how this man is going to be healed. Look at verse 33. So Jesus took this man away from the crowd in private. And after putting his fingers in the man's ears, spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephphatha, that is, be opened. So, so why is Mark being so detailed? This is not a typical healing of Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus certainly doesn't have to be this dramatic in a healing. He, he doesn't have to touch. I mean, he can simply speak the word. We've seen that happen in the chapters before, right? He can just simply speak the word and the, the little girl can rise from the dead. He, he doesn't have to be that dramatic. I mean, he's walking down a road and a woman touches his robe and he's like, somebody touched me. And she's healed. I mean, so it doesn't have to be so over the top, so dramatic. So what is Jesus doing? Why is it that he takes his fingers and he puts them in the man's ears and he spits in his hand and he touches the man's tongue and then he looks up to heaven and he's like, oh, and then he says, I mean, why so dramatic? I mean, that's the way I would heal somebody. I know that surprises you. <laughs> but what in the world is Jesus doing? I love this. I got goosebumps already and I haven't even said it out loud yet. Because Jesus is communicating to a deaf man and the only way he can hear. Jesus is doing sign language, people. He first pulls the man to a private area. That's basically for someone who is deaf. That is silencing the crowds around him. Gone is the busyness of the hubbub of all the people trying to press in on Jesus. Jesus, no, you, you come over here with me. And it says he takes his fingers and he reaches over and he puts them in the man's ears and says, those. Spits his fingers, touches his tongue. That. So the man knows exactly where the healing is coming from. We know Jesus is compassionate, but how is the deaf man supposed to know Jesus is compassionate? When you sigh deeply, there is a physical response. So as Jesus looks to heaven, showing the man where the healing is going to come from, he then... <sighs> then he says the one word, Ephatha. Now, anybody who was in the vicinity, anybody who got to see this moment happen would, would remember that word choice because it was a shocking moment where everything went from silent to speaking. I mean, imagine it. Jesus pulls them inside. Ephatha. 
happened. See, it's not a magical incantation. It's not this magical word that does something. It's, it's a simple word that is spoken in a moment of tension, a moment of stress, a moment of something needs to happen here. What is it going to be that is remembered? That word, Ephatha, was burned into the minds of those people who heard it. <laughs> Have you ever said something that unfortunately your friends will never forget? Even if it's just one Simple word. Unfortunately, I have a story to share with you. There was a, well, years ago, uh, back in 2012, 2013, sorry, it just become 2013, it was January. Um, a couple of friends of mine uh, and I, um, God had done something crazy in our presence. God had done something ridiculous, gave us an opportunity that uh, we had never seen before, nor have we seen since. Um, we had made the decision that we were going to proceed with the direction that God was forcing us into. That was the only way we could see it. And so I was, uh, this is out in California, I was um, uh, in Illinois, and I had to keep going back, so I went back to California, <laughs> and there was a room of like six or seven guys, and we needed a certain, a certain amount of resources to do what was coming next, okay? And without those reasons, then, then, then all this movement that God had been doing would have been for naught, although that's probably not true. He still would have found a way, right? But that was in our uh, mind. Well, I got to the meeting late because a flight got delayed. And so these guys are all sitting around the room, and they had compiled their resources, and they were praying over them and praying over them. And I came into the room, and I'm like high-fiving guys, hugging guys. Hey, good to see you, good to see you. Sorry I'm late. Planes, oh, that's terrible. Um, and I'm sitting at the table, and I'm listening to them talk because I'm just trying to figure out where I am. And I'm listening to them talk, and then they're... <laughs> They're talking about the resources that have come in and how God is moving and how it appears that God's going to do this, but they're just this amount short. And I'm like, oh, man. Because as God would have it, because he does this every once in a while. It was the exact amount that I had. <clears throat> so I wanted to be dramatic. Lessons learned. And we're... <laughs> They're all talking and they're praying and we're praying and I'm like trying not to bubble over. It's like, I got to figure out a way to like make this moment memorable. Well, it's memorable. So I took what I had and I said the amount and I could see their eyes open and I went, yeah, boom shakalaka. Why I said boom shakalaka, I have no idea. I had never said it before. I've never said it since. But for some reason, that was the word that came, boom, shakalaka. And so I hear that word regularly. Um, that's how, if I get a phone call from one of them, that's how they answer the phone. That's how they greet me. Boom, shakalaka. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. Just leave me alone. But the word that Mark uses here, the word that Jesus used with the deaf man, again, was not something mystical. It's not some tongue of an angel. It's not a magical incantation. It's an Aramaic command. And Mark translates it for us so we wouldn't be confused. That is, be opened. Verse 35, immediately. His ears were opened. His tongue was loosened, or his, the chains came off of his tongue. And he began to speak Clearly, when the creator speaks, creation must respond. The tongue was loosened, and, and he began to speak clearly. He began to speak 
plainly. And for someone who hasn't spoken for a long time, whether it be he hasn't spoken at all or he hasn't spoken very much, for someone to speak clearly suddenly, that's a big deal. Even with the modern marvel of, of medicine, when it comes to things like the cochlear implant, when they do a cochlear implant for someone who, who cannot hear, it requires that person go through months, even years of speech therapy afterwards. Because all of a sudden, when, when they can hear, when they have never heard before, suddenly their brains are, have to process all of this new information that's coming in. It's, they're hearing a, a new language, so it, it takes them some time, but not for the one who created the tongue. He simply speaks a word, and healing and restoration is brought. Verse 36, he ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. They were extremely astonished, and they said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ was not that all should adapt to him is that he would adapt to them to communicate his love, his grace, and his mercy. Is that how you communicate to people, folks? So, so, so while we can see the compassion of Jesus for the deaf man, we, I think this is a, a great opportunity for us to kind of jump out, kind of looking at Mark as a whole now, and to evaluate two things that come up a number of times. The first one is this, miracles. Miracles occur all the time throughout the book of Mark, even in the ministry of Jesus. So, so why miracles? Why is Jesus doing miracles in his ministry? And let me answer that first by giving you the negative, why, what they're not for. Okay, miracles weren't to be spectator events. Miracles weren't meant to whip a crowd into a frenzy. I mean, imagine this, the healing of this deaf man if it were today, right? It, it, the, the, one of those TV channels, right? Huge stage, great production value, lighting is just perfect, the music matches everything. I mean, it's very emotional and manipulative. The cameras would zoom in with close-ups on this deaf man. Then they would flash to these video vignettes of doctors who are like, we tried this and it just didn't work. And then we tried this and it just didn't work. And then flash to his mom, his mom is crying. I tried everything and nothing healed him. And as she is doing that and the man's image appears on the screen again, the two logos for Visa and MasterCard appear at the bottom of the screen. I wish I was joking. Hundreds of thousands of people buy into that. Jesus takes this man aside into the private. Miracles weren't the primary objective of Jesus in his ministry. But miracles did give us a glimpse of the future restoration that is coming because of his ministry. Miracles gave us a snapshot of what it will be like one day. Just a, a little glimpse, a little reminder that, that Jesus came into the world that was busted into pieces because of sin. And he came to restore it and to, to kind of put it all back together. He came to, to make a, a new creation, to 
This creation where one day there'll be no more deafness, there'll be no muteness, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more suffering, no more cancer, no more heart disease, no more crying. And these miracles that Mark records for us in the ministry of Jesus are just little snapshots of that coming kingdom that one day will be complete when he returns in glory. But those miracles were temporary. I mean, when you consider that, the healings and the exorcisms may have been spectacular for those people who were there and even life-changing for those who experienced them, but, but those who are healed, even those who were raised to life, all of them eventually died because the world is still broken. It's still a place of sin and suffering. It's still a place of, of fallenness, but that happened because Jesus didn't come to be all about miracles. We know, as you read through this, that Jesus didn't do all of the miracles he could have done. I mean, there's times where he'll walk away to a mountain to pray. There's times he gets on the boat and takes it to the other side of the sea. It's because his main focus wasn't miracles. That's not why he came. He came to be our savior. He came to die for our sins. And the miracles, the miracles are a way to identify him to us. It was a way to show us that he is, in fact, the one who was able to carry away our sins. And this, this miracle in particular, this miracle in particular has a, a very um, specific fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy found in Isaiah. Because Isaiah is saying in, in, in chapter 35, he's coming, God is coming, he's coming, our, our deliverer is coming, our redeemer is coming. And he says this in Isaiah 35, verse 5, he, here is your God, God's retribution is coming. He is going to save you and the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute will sing for joy. So it's been asked throughout the book of Mark, who is this? It's gonna be asked again, even more specifically next week. But it made all of the stories of Mark, all of his writing, all of his perspective, all of his personality is pointing to the fact that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the deliverer. And, and, and here's the crazy part. The people who experience this with Jesus can't stop talking about it. Even though Jesus clearly says, stop talking about it. So I'm going to tell you this, um, we've been, so this is our seventh week in the book of Mark. I've encouraged and challenged you and I continue to do so, each and every single one of you to read through the chapter of the week every day during the week and just see what pops out at you. So, so this week we're going to be going into Mark 8. I'd encourage you every day this week, read Mark 8, see what stands out at you. And, and, and I'd encourage you, ask questions, post a little Facebook note about questions, whatever you need to do. But the most consistent question I've gotten to this point in the last seven weeks, without question, is... So what's the deal with them all disobeying Jesus? I mean, he specifically commands them over and over again not to talk about it. So, so let's back up a second. Why doesn't Jesus want to make much of the miracles? Why does he want to keep them secret? There's, there's really three possibilities for that. Um, I believe there's one that is far stronger than the other two, but the other two certainly have application. The first one is this. Jesus, again, like we were just talking about, didn't want the miracles to distract from his one true purpose. His primary purpose, again, was not as a miracle worker. 
His primary purpose was to come to be the savior of sinners. He didn't come to make everybody happy and healthy. He didn't come to, to take away all of the, 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 the results of the fallen world yet. That's a coming day. But that's not his purpose for coming. He came to fulfill his purpose in his suffering and in his death, not in the miracles. Now, the miracles are a significant picture of what his sin-bearing is going to ultimately achieve, which is restoration. But miracles can't take away the sins of the world. So Jesus told them not to speak of his miracles because he didn't want the miracles to become a distraction of his one true purpose. Another reason Jesus commanded them and instructed them, don't talk about the miracles, is because he didn't want to be the king without being the savior. John chapter 6, the conclusion of the feeding of the 5,000, we talked about this last week. When Jesus was done, the crowd, after seeing the sign that had just happened right before their eyes, took him by force, or sought to take him by force and make him king. Like, we're not asking you. You are now our political leader. You are now our, our king. And the, the problem is that's a result of these people seeing the miracles and can speak with enthusiasm about what they've seen, but they don't understand the full picture. So what Jesus is trying to do is prevent these people from a hysterical, although appropriate, response. But here is the real reason. The secret of Jesus is included in the book of Mark. Every author, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every author of the Gospels writes with their own, and in fact, every book of the Bible writes with their own personality. They write with a purpose. They write with a, with a priority. And I'm going to say this. Mark is a literary genius. And some of you may not think so. I do, but that's because he writes the way I think. So he's a genius. <laughs> if you need a systematic approach, read the book of Luke. Read the book of Luke, because he just goes through systematically. Boom, boom, boom. Mark, Mark communicates with those of us who, and I am one of you, uh, are of the ADD kingdom. Mark starts a story, and then all of a sudden it's like, squirrel, and he starts telling a whole other story. And it's like, what is Mark doing? And then suddenly he, story at the end, and it's like, wait a minute, that was the first story. Wait, huh? What are you doing, Mark? And then if you step back and you look at it, you realize there's actually a common theme between the two stories. See, so yeah, that's, that's the way I, I prefer it. So when you're studying Scripture, there's a little tip for you. When you're studying Scripture and you're seeing a consistent thing said over and over and over and over again, and all of a sudden it switches. Pay attention to the one outlier. Pay attention to the thing that is different because that's the emphasis of the author. And so what Mark is doing in his personality is he is giving us, he's setting us up, is what he's doing. And he's an expert at it. So let me encourage you, if you have your Bibles with you, okay, turn to Mark chapter one. We're going to run through a couple of quick texts here just to show how many times we're told to keep it a secret. If you're on your device, go to Mark chapter one. That's fine too. I have five or six passages that I'm going to look at here in the book of Mark. Okay, so Mark chapter one, Look at verse 44. Jesus had just healed a man with leprosy. And he says to him, see to it that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest, offer what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And yet, verse 45, what does the guy do? He goes out and he begins to proclaim it loudly. Look at chapter 3. 
Verse 12, Jesus is casting out demons. Whenever Jesus came before um, the demons, they would fall down on their faces before him and they would cry out, you are the son of God, verse 12 of Mark chapter 3. And Jesus would strongly warn them not to make him known. Okay, there's another command of secrecy. Chapter 5, uh, verse 43 Jesus just spoke to this little girl who everybody knew was dead and said, she's just sleeping. And he said, get up, little girl. And immediately she got up and Jesus gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. Chapter 7, verse 36, our chapter for today, where we are today. He ordered them to tell no one about the deaf man being able to hear, mute man being able to speak. He ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered it, the more they proclaimed it. Okay, one more. Probably the same page, maybe the next page for you. Mark 8, verse 26. Jesus heals this blind man. Verse 26, he says to them, do not tell anybody in the village. Jesus is being very clear. The command is very clear. Secrecy, keep it secret. Keep it secret. Let's not tell anybody. So, so remember, here is my my, um, my, my um, premise, this is my proposal to you, is that what Mark is doing as an author is he is setting us up. He's getting you to fall, pay attention to all these things. Be secret, be secret, be secret. Don't tell anybody, 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 until you get to Mark chapter 16. You're familiar with this story. Very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise, and the ladies were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Verse 4 of chapter 16. Looking up, they noticed the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. And he said this, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. Look at where they put him. Now go Tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Suddenly, there's a switch. Keep it a secret. Don't tell anybody. 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 He is risen. Go tell him. Go. We, we, we live on this side of the, the resurrection. The one who has claimed to be the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Redeemer. He is risen. He has proven everything that he has said is true. Now go tell them. Verse 8. They went out. And they ran from the tomb. Because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone. They were paralyzed by fear instead of energized by faith. Mark set us up. See, you and I aren't only allowed to just talk to our heart's content about what Jesus has done for us in rescuing us from our sin. We're not just allowed to do that, we are commanded to do that. How backwards is this? 
He tells all these people, tell no one, and they tell everyone. He commands us to tell everyone, and we we tell no one. The good news of Jesus Christ is a secret to millions upon millions of people today. And you know many of them. Jesus has said to you, go tell. Tell them your story. Tell them how he rescued you. Tell them how he mercied you. And so often, again, instead of being energized by faith, we get paralyzed by fear. We get freaked out. It's like, well, well what am I going to do? I don't know how to witness. Stop it. Don't make it something it's not supposed to be. You get called to court to be a witness of a car accident. Do you know what you're supposed to do? Tell them what you saw. Tell them what you heard. Tell them what you felt. Tell them what you experienced. You don't go to court and tell them what you think they want to hear. That can get you in some trouble. You don't go to court and tell them somebody else's story. You tell them yours. So I said it at the beginning. I don't know if you you caught on to it. There's only one other time in the book of Mark that Jesus tells somebody to go and tell. It's our buddy Gaddy. And he did. Mark 5 tells us that when the folks in the Decapolis heard Gaddy's story, they marveled. Do you realize that Jesus used that man not only to tell his story, but he used that man to prepare the hearts of the people for a later time that Jesus would show up in their area. Your job is to tell the story. It's God's job to save them. So are you sharing your story with all of the people that God has given you the opportunity to share it with? Are you sharing your story with any of the people that God has given you the opportunity to share it with? May we speak very plainly about how much God has done for us and how he's mercied us. Father, I thank you that in your word, you don't pull any punches. I thank you that in our weakness, your strength can be made strong. It can be made visible. It, it, It can accomplish things that we cannot accomplish on our own. I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that God, as they consider the freedom that they have experienced in Jesus Christ, that it would bubble up in them. And Lord, they would be willing storytellers, speaking of the rescue they've experienced because you loved them and sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for them. Father, open our mouths. And that's only going to happen when we recognize what we have to be thankful for when we recognize what it is you've done for us. So Father, open our eyes.
It's in Jesus' good name. Amen.